Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, can you see me? Can you hear me? I can neither see or hear you at this point. Oh, sorry, it wouldn't let me... Okay, I had to agree to recording before it would let me say or do anything. That's okay, you agreed, so perfect. That means we can do this. All right, look at your professional setup. I know, it's a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm very excited to chat with you and introduce you and get into it, but the first thing I do have to do is get through an ad read. I hope hope you understand, I'm very sorry. I'm ready, I have a snack, go ahead. Go for it, enjoy. This week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by current events going on in Hollywood. And by that, I am, of course, referring to the negotiations between the WGA and the AMPTP. I haven't spoken a ton about it on this podcast because I am not an expert on what's going on. I don't want to overstep my bounds or say the wrong thing. I'm not a guild captain. I'm not in the negotiating committee. I'm not an insider. Nothing I say here is official word on anything, but I am a proud member of the Writers Guild of America, and by the time this episode is released, we will know if we're on strike or if a deal has been reached. Currently, at the time of this recording, I don't know yet, so this message is coming to you from an uncertain past. (laughs) Hopefully, a deal has been made. What we writers are asking for is very reasonable, a small share of the record profits that studios and streamers continue to make. We are asking for less than 2% of those profits to help make screenwriting a middle-class career again. The industry has changed in recent years. The popularity of streaming and the rise of mini rooms means writers have had to work more to make less, less room for upper mobility, smaller and fewer residual payments. The truth is, despite what the industry might say, profits are higher, budgets are higher, and writers' pay is lower. Adjusting for inflation, screenwriter pay has declined 14% over the last decade. TV writer-producer pay has declined 23%. Half of all TV writers today are working for minimums, and we need to restore what's been taken away from writers. That's what we're fighting for, what we're negotiating for, what we may at this moment be striking for. I hope not. No writer wants to be on strike. We want to work, but we are willing to strike because collective bargaining, being in this together, is the only way to make change. The WGA stands together for the betterment of all writers. So if we are on strike at this moment, it is not because we don't want to work. It is because we want our industry to survive. I hope there's a deal. I hope this ad is terribly outdated by the time this episode is released. I hope we're back at work. But if not, hey, I'll see you on the picket lines. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today is a writer, actress, and comedian. We met writing for a network sketch comedy showcase, and since then, she wrote for Disney's The Owl House, which ended its run just a few weeks ago. You've also probably seen her in a ton of commercials or heard her voice in any number of shows. She happens to be one of my closest friends in the industry. Please welcome Madeline Hernandez. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm happy to have you. (laughs) I'm very excited. We have known each other, Madeline, for about seven years, I think. We've been friends for maybe three or four of those, (laughs) uh, which which we are going to get into. Uh, But before we do... (laughs) <laughs> I do want to say I'm very excited to have you on, get into your story and journey a little bit. I know you so well, but I know there's 
things I can still learn about you. Oh, I don't think so. Probably not. Let's do this anyway. What's that? (laughs) I I was just going to say, I think you know the whole thing. You could just um, narrate this whole thing and not even need me, honestly. I tried. I tried for, I did a couple test recordings without inviting you in. Just be like, I can get through Madeline's stuff. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Typically, I do start these interviews the same way. I created this Mm -hmm. podcast because the pandemic turned me into a Mm shut-in. And I needed something social and performative to do outside of writing but still from the safety and comfort of my uh, reclusive lifestyle. But you know that better than most people because you and our friend and future guest of the podcast, Jessica Perlman, we started a weekly FaceTime in the early days of the pandemic almost three years ago now, and we still do it every week. Sometimes we meet in person, uh, but it's still mostly FaceTime. And that helped me get through the pandemic's darkest days, and it's still something that I look forward to. So I just wanted to start with, you know, thanking you for helping me get through this uh, tough time. It's really meant a lot to me. Oh gosh, thank you. And thanks JP, if you're listening. Um... She listens, I think you don't. But she <laughs> we don't have to talk about me not listening to this. Um, I don't do it out of spite, I do it out of pure laziness. Um, no, it's, it's true, The uh, it, it is still something I look forward to every week. It feels weird when we don't meet up every week and it has helped me survive, not just the pandemic, but um, I don't know, it's, you know, someone from college recently asked me who my closest friends were and I was like, oh, definitely Brian and Jessica. And I was like, oh, right. That started because I wanted to make them watch Cats one night. And that um, is the origin story. Every week. <laughs> That is the origin story for this. It was not, I don't think we ever intended it to be what it became. It became, because it started as just like us chatting, us stuck in our homes for what we thought would be a very short period of time or hoped would be at least. Mm -hmm. And you were very adamant that we all needed to get on FaceTime together and watch Cats because for some reason you unequivocally loved that movie and wanted to share it with us. See, I had seen it twice in theaters and it had been such a remarkable community or communal viewing experience (laughs) that I wanted my friends to experience it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that first time, we could not figure out a way to watch it all together that didn't involve um, uh, whatever iTunes blacking out the screen for us because of copyright issues. Something like that. Um, And so we just started watching really bad funny movies instead and then eventually i showed you cats and you guys regretted it but um i did make you rewatch my highlights you did on my birthday. On, on your that birthday. was the best present i could have asked for <laughs> <laughs> on your birthday just a few days ago it was we had to fight from you know no offense to the people who made cats i'm sure you know great job you've made the movie you wanted to make people like it it made a lot of us happy What's that? It made a lot of us happy. It made a lot of people happy. Uh, but on your birthday, you wanted to rewatch it. And we managed to talk you down to um, just show us your favorite parts. Just to scrub through this thing. Yeah. And even, even that felt about as long as the film itself. <laughs> Aside from our weekly FaceTimes, how have the last few years been for you? How did you stay sane? What have you learned about yourself? How are you maybe different than when this all started? Oh. Um, that's not a deep question at all, which makes sense why you would only set aside 39 minutes Mm -hmm. to, to talk about it. Sure. sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I'm honestly surprised that I'm, I mean, I don't want this to sound too dark, but I, I feel surprised that I'm alive and well, Mm. to be frank. Um, 
you know, things, it, it never got to the point where I was afraid that might not happen, but mm -hmm. it felt that way. And, um, you know, having you know, being able to, to just, you know, chat with, with you and JP regularly really helped. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, I, I started my relationship with Anthony during the pandemic, um, nope. my boyfriend, um, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. He was at my birthday. I don't think you guys talked at all. No, I saw some <laughs> dude hanging out and I was like, I don't know what his deal is. I'm like, just going to leave him alone. Who's this guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, that, that was really a lifeline. I didn't, I, I wasn't looking for, but, mm -hmm. uh, was pleasantly surprised by, um, honestly, my owl house crew, you know, we, we worked a lot, um, over Skype during the pandemic and, um, you know, when you're going through something in a communal way, it brings people together. And I think that's evident in, you know, our little trio mm -hmm. and, um, the writer's room and I'm sure, you know, also the storyboard artists on the Owl House. And um, when I was living with roommates at the beginning of the pandemic, that was a really, um, that was a time that really brought us together. Um, I learned that I do really well inside. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. I think the first month my sister and I were chatting and, you know, we were kind of like, oh, we were raised for this. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't sports or outdoors kinds of kids. It was like, oh, mom's at work. Let's just watch TV all day. <laughs> so we were doing very well the first few months of the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, you realize you need like physical touch at, on some level. And so then um, you kind of start getting antsy to be around some people, but not too many people. <laughs> Definitely still not too many people. I still don't want to do crowds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into, you said, you know, you were raised watching TV with you, you and your sister, TV raised you. Um, so you grew up in, let's talk about that. So you grew up in Orange County. Um, okay. And at what point did you know that like, this was what you wanted to do with your life, that you wanted to write, do comedy, act? Uh, was that when you were a kid watching stuff or did that not come till later? No, I honestly, I was in denial. Oh man, I don't know. It's hard to, I think it's really easy to, you know, like retrofit, like, you know, little kid version of you into what you are now kind of, mm -hmm, but sure. I don't know that I ever thought of it as a career. Um, I mean, obviously as a kid, I grew up watching, um, Saturday Night Live and Mad TV and in Living Color because my mom was a big, uh, you know, comedy junkie. Um, so we grew up watching all of those things, even though they might have been a little age inappropriate. Sure. But I don't know. It was the 90s. It was different. Um, and um, yeah, my mom had Mad magazines from like the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, she had comedy albums. She had Cheech and Chong albums. So I was always around it. And I remember watching Conan O'Brien show and thinking, man, that looks like so much fun. Um, and obviously you grew up with people being like, oh, you should be on SNL or like, oh yeah, I want to be on SNL. And, but it, it's, I never knew anybody in the entertainment industry or anybody that was a writer professionally. And so it never, I never viewed it Hold attainable. On, think... It was almost like in a different realm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know, I didn't even think about comedy writing until I was um, working at a, uh, as a program assistant at a Fuller Seminary. Sure. And I, uh, my old, uh, my old roommate when I was working at Disneyland, um, Amber Llewellyn, she was taking improv and sketch writing classes at iOS and I joined her and I started taking sketch comedy classes and that was the first time where I felt really affirmed in my ability to be funny and write comedy mm. um, and it wasn't until I allowed myself to take an acting class um, I think it was the summer after we did showcase mm -hmm. that I I took my first professional acting class and really felt affirmed in my abilities there. And I didn't even know that writing for animation was something that was possible or an option. I mean, I hadn't even, I'd never thought about it. And I'd been watching adult animation my whole life, right? I started with the critic when I was a kid and sure. every uh, kid's entryway in... yeah, is the critic. <laughs> uh, is it really? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know some people watch Dr. Katz. I never got into it, but. I never got um, into either of those, but like usually you'd hear like The Simpsons or Futurama, depending on what age the person you're talking I mean, to, but I the critic being your first one is, <laughs> is interesting. You know why? I think it's because it was cultural commentary mm -hmm. in a cartoon. And I was, a, since young age, I've been very like uh, culturally fluent, especially, especially in things that were culturally before my time. That's because of my mom and you know, watching things like in, in Living Color and old reruns of other of other shows. And so um, even Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, the original shows are very old references and mm -hmm. very old cultural touch points. But I knew a lot of them because of what my mom had introduced me to and growing up watching old films, you no know, TV shows. So um, yeah, you know, the, the critic for me was was so funny and anyways i grew up watching animation was always mm -hmm. watching some kind of animation and then it wasn't until a friend of mine who was a, um, an exec at disney had um passed my resume around and i realized i could potentially write for animation mm -hmm. um you know which i think really goes to show you that like it's you know um what is it opportunity is where uh Chance. luck luck is where opportunity meets preparation <laughs> yes yeah you got it i got it you, you know were almost there yeah yeah you don't, you you don't need him... to know the exact phrase to to live yeah. it exactly you can tell i'm really smart and well written by how articulate i am in this moment um but yeah you know it was like oh um disney was starting this new apprenticeship program and i had just written my first pilot thanks to my experience on the showcase and um uh therein was luck mm -hmm. and i <laughs> right yeah um and i got to meet with uh dana terrace the showrunner of owl house and john bailey owen the show editor and um we really hit it off and the rest is history Okay, well, we're going to get into Owl House. I'm excited to talk right. about it, but I do want to talk more about your journey leading up to it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I think is interesting, you alluded to it, is that you, like most of us, we all, everybody who's in this industry who doesn't come from, you know, a lot of money or from somebody else in this industry, we're working all kinds of weird jobs just to stay afloat. And one of your jobs was you were a character actor at Disneyland. You, mm -hmm. I know you were, what, what all characters did you play? 
Wow, you just outed me. Um, I'm sorry. Am I not supposed to? I can bleep it. <laughs> um, I think like the legal, for, not legal phrase, I don't know. Um, the phrase is like, I was friends with them. Oh, right? okay. Got it. So I was, I mean, I guess I don't really care. I just don't want to get, I don't want anybody to get in trouble. I can bleep out, I can bleep out your character. Don't do it. No, 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 no. Don't do it. <laughs> don't you couch out of their lawyers. Um, just kidding. Yeah, if, you guys we're on... if you guys are listening, don't. Don't come after us. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was You're friends with Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald, Pinocchio, Coda, which is from Brother Bear. Mm -hmm. um, I was briefly friends with Stitch, but my arms were too long. Um, I don't know how else to describe that. <laughs> uh, also briefly friends with the Chipmunks, but uh, was not broad-shouldered enough. Mm. So long arms, thin shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, I have for my size, and JP and I have discussed this, that, you know, she's several inches taller than me. I'm aware. But other than that, we have the exact same measurements, and that includes shoulders, but my arms might be a little bit longer than hers. Hmm. My wingspan is like, I'm 5'3", but I measure, I come in at like a whopping 5'1". So Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Good. <laughs> Everybody on the on this podcast is getting your measurements now, which I don't know if we exactly exactly yeah, new Send territory. Me a jacket, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I did that, and um, you know, before I think Toontown just reopened after a, a revamp, but mm -hmm. um, prior to that, there was a show that used to open Toontown and I used to do that and that was a lot of fun. And then there was something called the, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. anyways, there was, there was a part where Mickey Mouse would lead the band from the castle down to the train station. And I would do that. And, you know, in the, in the ranks, we called it the death March because it was like a solid, like 40 minutes of nonstop choreography in direct sunlight. Ugh. And you had to be giving it approximately 200% because when you're in a costume that weighs, you know, 10 plus pounds, it really looks like you're only giving like 30% if you're not going all out. So um, there's a certain, there's a certain attitude of excellence that you, you have to, you feel compelled to give a lot of the time. And, um, mm uh it's it's a weird brotherhood of uh i don't know performers mm -hmm. uh that have a certain experience that only a few people can relate to for sure yeah it seems unique you hear you know different stories and rumors about the people who might be under those uh, under those costumes or i'm sorry friends with those characters uh so it is interesting and it, so what maybe do you have any experiences um from your time as a as a friend of those characters that really like stand out well i mean there's a lot of negative ones <laughs> like um <laughs> you know like when you're getting physically assaulted sure. um you know like i was sucker punched in the side of the head as um when i was friends with mickey by like a kid that was at least like six one and then like his like mom was there and they just laughed and i got pretty i got pretty hurt on that one um oh, man i mean compared to what i experienced there were people that experienced much much worse um if we're going positive you know um, sure. <laughs> we're choosing to uh you know there were a lot of people who um a lot of adults some some elderly adults especially who 
you know, they're coming to Disneyland for the first time and mm-hmm. they want to meet Mickey and Minnie Mouse. And it's a very emotional experience for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it's like, you know, I, it's not something that I anticipated, but um, it was really moving um, in, in the moment. And, you know, you kind of realize, oh, it's not just about a cartoon character. It's like, this really is an iconic, an iconic brand that, um, you know, uh, tends to denote or communicate a type of experience or special memories that people have. Um, uh, I've been around proposals, I've done make-a-wishes that, you Mm. know, some that were really fun and some that were really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, there was one time, uh, I don't know if they do it anymore, but we used to do these birthday performances at Plaza Inn, one of the restaurants inside the park. And um, I was uh, I was hanging out with Minnie Mouse and some kid ripped off her glove. <laughs> so, I, so I had to like hide it under the other one. And it's like, what do you do when somebody does that? And it's like, oh, it, it was so funny, but I was so scared that, somebody was going to point and scream and it was going to turn into like something on the news and you know it's going to be like oh there's i saw skin it was so scary so there was a there's a character there's a mini mouse with a human hand like a character exactly just like most of the characters and cats who for some reason yeah exactly human hands great movie um you get it. You moved on. So you had probably what is a rare experience of going from performer at Disneyland to like then writing for a Disney Channel show. If I was like making the biopic of your life, that would be like, well, that's the arc right there. Like starting mm-hmm. at the at this level and ending up at this level. So Do you believe that there are more of us? I would believe it, but I wouldn't. Like if you tell me, I would have no reason to call you a liar, but it's not something that I would have... <laughs> Well, when I uh, when I joined the apprentice program, there was another woman in the program who I had actually worked with and we mm-hmm. were friends at Disneyland and she had hosted me a number of times when she was a character host. Um, she met her husband there. Um, he's a photopass photographer and she's writing on. Um, oh, oh, Alyssa, please don't hate me if you go listen to this. What's it called? Um fire buds which is a disney preschool show oh cool so um and of course both of our original samples have to do with disneyland <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it sounds like a formative experience it makes sense we all we all draw from our histories and that's something that could be really fun to to write about and play in that world yeah yeah um so you you mentioned you started on that show as a writer's apprentice um mm-hmm. What is let's see? So I don't I haven't I don't have a ton of experience with TV, but tell me I would love to hear about the writer apprentice program at Disney, how it works, what was it like becoming a writer, uh, an apprentice writer? Um, yeah, that whole process. Yeah. Do you watch TV at all? Just like curious. I've Ted Lasso doesn't count. I've Ted Lasso counts. Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso does not count. But I watch other shows as well, but continue Name one. Ted Lasso. Oh my god. And shrinking from the producers of Ted Lasso. Oh my um, <laughs> and uh, Scrubs, also from the producers of Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's like you've heard my ads before. I've get plugged it. them Love all. Love Bill Lawrence. He's great. Um, but yeah, Disney Apprentice. <laughs> what's it like being an apprentice writer? How did you get into that? 
Um, well, again, I got into that because of my luck. The sure. Everything, everything in this business comes to, like, there is a level of luck in any kind of position you get in this business. That's just, that's uh, absolutely true. I think that's, I think people who deny that are, are discounting, you know, people who are like, oh, I pulled myself up. Like, yeah, you did to a position that you got lucky. Like there is I an mean, element of luck for everybody. Absolutely. Every non-entertainment job I've ever had, I've only ever gotten through a connection. Same. Or by somebody making, you know, uh, being like, oh, I'm a reference for this person and I know this other guy personally. Um, so if I had to, I had to come to terms with the fact of, of like, oh, if that's how I get my jobs outside of the industry, how can I expect it any, how can I expect this to be anything else really? Sure. Um, yes. So uh, uh, there was an exec who was, um, ahead of the apprentice program at the time. It has since been revamped. I don't know what it's being called anymore mm. um, because it's um, a program that's only supposed to last for about like, I think 14 months because legally in the, you're part of the union as part of an apprentice writer, which is really cool. You get to join the animation guild. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure listeners are aware of how important the unions are. Yeah, they um, are. So, uh, which is really awesome because, you know, you're protected with labor laws and that's not really the case for a lot of um, entry level or apprentice level positions. Um, And as an apprentice writer, your job, uh, the program was explained to me as an opportunity for underrepresented types of writers or newbie writers to Mm -hmm. um, get their foot in the door have an experience in a writer's room um, and get experience writing. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I like drinking sparkling water and it's coming up at bad times. That sounds a lot like what happened uh, to Ted Lasso in season one, uh, both in the premiere and also the finale of season one, actually. They're not, they're not supporting this podcast. Uh, nobody is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just your mom listening. Mostly, yes. Hi, Mom. Wait. Hi, Mary Alice. Yeah, you got it. You remember. <laughs> Mary Alice, call us. Call us. Let's be friends, Mary Alice. Um, she called okay. me while we were recording this. I had to, like, put her on to send her a voicemail. You call her back and you put her on speakerphone. <laughs> oh, I will be I will be calling her after. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, all right. Okay. The apprentice program. Um, anyways, that's how it was described to me, but, um, there wasn't really any oversight over each room and, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm sure, you know, each writer's room is going to be different because every showrunner is different. Uh, the rooms are structured differently. Some rooms didn't have apprentice writers. Some did, and they were treated more like, um, glorified, um, writer's assistants sure which a lot of people don't know are actually different from apprentice writers or even assistant writers um and i think that's part of the reason why they were revamping the program or at least the name of it because um you know when i have because i got after 14 months as an apprentice writer you automatically get moved up to assistant writer and so when Mm -hmm. i have that on my resume a lot of a lot of times it's interpreted as um, a writer's assistant sure um but you know from day one i got to pitch on um, I got to do punch-ups. I 
um, got to pitch story ideas. I was immediately included in this room. And, you know, I don't know, I, I can't speak to everyone else's experience, but I do think part of that is because we had a really young showrunner. We had a really young writer's room. Everybody was just like a huge weirdo, which I loved. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of them are not just writers, but also um, animators. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of people are coming from a multidisciplinary background. And um, it was really, it was really cool. You know, it, it was awesome to be on the other side of um, Disney, you know, as a performer, as a character performer, you're kind of treated like garbage, um, which sure. is like the trickle down Eisner effect. Um, mm-hmm. He famously called uh, character performers like, you know, monkeys in suits and sauce is really replaceable. And unfortunately, that method of leadership, at least by the when I left, had not changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's like a unnecessary ladders or steps of ladders in the bureaucracy unnecessary red tape um it's more about seniority and less about skills and abilities a lot of times when it comes to leadership uh which sucks because then you you lose a lot of talent that way because people get frustrated or burned out um and you know you end up promoting the right people the wrong people essentially but um uh, corporate, not to say that that doesn't happen in, in a corporate position, but um, it was really nice to feel valued. It was really nice to feel um, like I was part of something a little bit bigger. And also as an apprentice writer, I, at least in, in my position, again, um, I got to go to records. And so I got to be there when, you know, Wendy Malik walked in and, <laughs> you know, and Sarah Nicole Robles and uh, Mae Whitman. And, um, you know, we did... Uh, sessions over zoom with um oh my gosh i hate that i'm forgetting his name carrie russell's husband oh matthew reese yes matthew reese um who is such a gentleman peter gallagher i mean so many amazing the cast is amazing on that show the cast is truly stacked what was Um, it like writing and knowing that those words that you were writing were going to be so said by you know, those kind of like that kind of caliber of actor? Well, I mean, a lot of times we didn't know yet, you know, um, because it's not until the script is finalized that you start that then it's sent to casting and casting puts together the, um, mm-hmm. the breakdowns. Um, but it is cool when you're in records and you're like, I wrote that line and they just said it, <laughs> you know, where sure. so we would do table reads of, of scripts um, when it was time to do punch-ups, we do table reads. And um, it was really fun for everybody to do their own impressions of each character. Sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I really loved that. Um, I don't know, I mean, I think, I know a lot of people hated working over the internet when the pandemic happened, but mm-hmm. I, I really liked it. I think it, at least for me, it made me feel like the writer's room became really close um, because, you know, the lines became a little bit blurred and you're online for so long that it's like you kind of lose whatever semblance of, I don't know, quote unquote professionalism <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know what I mean, of, I of a facade, a facade yeah. of professionalism, right? And everybody's animals are coming into camera and, um, 
you know, I adopted my cat and Dana adopted her cat during the pandemic. And so it was like, every, every, yeah, it was a wild time. It was a wild time. One of our writers, Emmy, is in, um, she's on the East Coast. So she had completely different time frame from everybody else. Um, it was wild. The outhouse, uh, like. the outhouse really has seemed to connect with people a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not as familiar with it. I've watched a bit of it to in prep for this interview, but you know, I'm perusing. There's fan art. There's fan fiction. There's these fan made games. Would you like to know that something you worked on means so much to people, and why do you think it connected with them in that kind of way? It's really crazy, man. Um, you know. First, I'd like to put some respect on our name. We are a Peabody Award-winning. I apologize. Disney the Peabody Award-winning Disney you. animated series, The Owl House. <laughs> Thank you. All episodes available um, to stream on Disney Plus. Thank you. Yes, that is true. Um, you know, the the first episode I co-wrote um, was in the second season, and it got such amazing feedback. Like watching reading all of the tweets and um seeing people's response to it was so cool because i i mean it had been like a year <laughs> since i had written you know since john and i had written it sure. um and i unfortunately you know like i had wrapped before they even started doing the voice records for it mm -hmm. so i didn't get to be involved in that aspect but um i don't know i felt a little part of me felt a little detached because it's like oh am i i don't feel like i'm i belong to this mm. this because i don't know at some point it's yours but it's not sure i mean it's a collaborative yeah. medium in so it's, many ways it's collaborative but also i think you know when you're writing on live action it, you know if you're lucky you get to be on set when it's filmed right sure and in animation the production time is so prolonged that mm. By the time it airs, you're like, I honestly don't even remember what this is about. Um, but it's it has been really remarkable. It has been very uh, affirming. It has felt really cool to see a show connect with people. I think it connects with a lot of fans because um, it has to do with misfits people mm -hmm. connect with feeling left out like feeling they don't belong looking to be understood looking for their uh found family um uh you know we have such amazing um lgbtqia representation on the show not just in um not just on screen but behind the screens voice talent um production uh, I mean, our crew is really so, I feel like diverse is, is such a trite phrase, but, sure. um, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's a better one, but I'm looking at the timer countdown and starting <laughs> to get to me. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it really, I, I felt like our, sh our show from a whole top to bottom was just really representative of the world at large. And I think that the audience can see that they can see mm -hmm. that in the jokes we make you know, um, people on the show love, they love comics, they love anime, they love illustration, they love animation, they love D&D, um, &D, Magic the Gathering, um, you know, things that I think are normally categorized as geeky nerdy shit, right? Um, sure. 
you know, like Dana and I love Star Trek, you know, and she incorporated Star Trek into the third season or like an iteration <laughs> of it there, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, named one of the creatures in season two, Jean-Luc, you know, and it's like, it's stuff like that, where it was like every kind of niche interest um, was given um, a nod of recognition. And I think people really appreciated that. Um, and you have a lot of people on this show that were involved on other properties that people really gravitated to, like uh, mm-hmm. Student Universe, um, Star Against Forces of Evil. Um, uh, Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls, thank you. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, And also you have the people involved in the, um, behind the scenes on the show and a lot of the voice actors really getting involved with the fans mm. and i haven't really seen that before um you know uh uh sissy who does the voice of lilith would host um along with rebecca rose one of our later uh, production assistants um she would host these like post hoots um you know like these like instagram live chats with writers or technical directors or the art directors or storyboard artists. I mean, really across the gamut, other voice artists to talk about different episodes and you'd have fans tune in and then fans would make things. And it didn't just feel like a show that we made and then kind of let go of. It felt Mm. like, I mean, as a whole, right? I'm not speaking this for myself, but like um, in the world, we, the show came out, but then it turned into a conversation a lot of the times and the actors almost, the voice actors kind of bridge the gap between the production and post-show where it's like, I don't know if I'm describing it well enough, but- No, I think so. You're basically, I mean, it just becomes like, (laughs) it almost, yeah, it becomes a conversation, like modern shows, especially with the rise of social media and all these things, don't always take advantage of that. It seems like you all had a passionate fan base that you also, wanted to connect with which i think is is really nice and probably did help to really cultivate a community around that show yeah absolutely and especially um you know i I know a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with twitter but um in its heyday um (laughs) (laughs) you know i I remember you know when episodes would air and we'd all we'd all be in the writer's room and you know we'd be um be sharing you know really funny memes that people had, had tweeted about the show and um you know, talking about other people's um, theories into what this mm-hmm. meant and reading into things. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's cool. And I, I, I have friends whose kids watch the show, which is also strange. Because nice. then yeah. they're like, oh, Sansa loves it. And I'm like, that's so weird. Because <laughs> I, I work on this. Yeah. We have less than a minute left. Where, cool. can, where can people follow you if they want to follow you? uh instagram twitter anything else you want to plug i just want to make sure we get that in thank you um uh, on instagram i'm at hey underscore madeline m-a-d-e-l-e-i-n-e and on twitter i'm at it's a madeline but i don't know if there's an underscore there might be one i'll I'll put it in the description anything you want to plug or anything uh wear okay. a mask still wear a mask still wear a mask perfect still wear a mask please um madeline what do you think happens after we die God, that's such a good question. Um, okay, here's here's my theory. I think when you die, your meeting has ended. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to 39 Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.